Here's a quick word from our football educational partners over at the Scouting Academy. Listen, we've said it all the time. If you love the analysis and you're passionate about football, then you really need to check out the Scouting Academy. Whether you're a football coach, aspiring writer, or even aspiring football agent, the Scouting Academy is really a perfect place for you to learn and develop your skills as an analyst. With curriculum that spans over 375 years of coaching and personnel experience, the Scouting Academy offers you a 16-week online course that you can tailor and build to meet your needs and your interests. Whether you're learning about wide receivers or defensive linemen, you can make the experience what you want it to be. Listen, I've said it to you on this podcast many times. I've spent my own money, my own time, and time away from my friends and family because I am just this passionate about this game. And the Scouting Academy is the place where I really feel like I've learned the most I've ever learned about the game of football. It's made me a better analyst. It's made me a better person in terms of the coaching I do on the field. I can't say enough great things about it. If you have any questions about the Scouting Academy, please don't hesitate to reach out to Dan Hatman on Twitter or reach out to the Scouting Academy online via email. I'm open to all questions as well. Heck, I'm still even a student there myself. Please don't hesitate to reach out. I really think that once you learn all the tools and gain the knowledge that they have to offer, I really think you're going to be absolutely excited about the game of football again. This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and I am really excited to be joined by two guests this evening. First, let me bring him in, Mr. Bill Ladden. Bill, welcome back to the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. What's up, Polly? I'm so excited to be here and see Dougie Fresh. And Doug, welcome back, Mr. Doug Green. Doug, it has been way too long since you've been sitting across from me here on the Saturday Sunday Football Podcast. Really excited to have you back in the fold this evening. I am back. I'm excited to see Paul. I haven't talked to Bill in forever. This is going to be a fun night. So let's get right into it, guys. Obviously, NFL Draft a couple weeks ago in the books now. What do you make of it in terms of just big picture? I know I've been participating in rookie drafts. I know I've been seeing you guys on Twitter talking about it. You guys are in your own rookie drafts going on right now. But I really want to get your take before we break it down position by position, your overall thoughts on the IDP class as a whole. If you have any thoughts, big pictures on the offensive side of the ball as well. If you're in any rookie drafts right now, what's been your game plan, you know, in terms of, do you think it's top heavy? Do you think there's depth, whatever you might be looking to try to do in your own leagues right now? I always think that's the best advice that we can give the listeners as well. So Doug, let me go to you first on what you think of the class as a whole. Yeah, to be quite honest, I'm not overly crazy about this year. There are a handful of guys I want. I would say probably there's a half dozen on the IDP side, probably four to six on the offensive side. 
just about every draft that I've been in so far, I've either traded back or I've traded completely out trying to accumulate picks for next year because there's just nobody that just kind of lights me on fire this year. Um, you know, if you can, if you can get Josh Jacobs or, or Nick Bosa, great if they land in your lap. But if, if at least for now, if I'm not landing one of those top tier guys, I'm moving back or moving out. Bill, how about you? Same exact question I asked, Doug. What do you kind of make of this class as a whole big picture? Yeah, it's pretty much dead on the money. I, I'm also trading back. There's a lot of groupings of guys that I like very similarly. And on the off- offensive side, you and I talked about that a little bit on the last podcast I was on. It's kind of a same situation where I don't see a lot of standouts. You know, there, there aren't any Saquon Barkleys. There aren't any guys on the IDP side that I'm willing to plant my flag for. So um, I'm, I'm happy to wait, 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 trade down, wait, wait, wait. Um, I did a lot of trading for next year's picks, so a, a lot of you know trade force for next year's thirds or thirds for next year's seconds. I did a lot of that in these drafts because I'm just not super thrilled. So let's get right into it and start talking about the linebackers. Obviously, they're the position that usually holds the most weight in IDP circles. Obviously, scoring settings, guys, are integral in terms of IDP leagues rankings fluctuate a lot based on the scoring settings of each individual league. So that's something we're mostly just going to work with focus on the traditional standard IDP leagues, which really value linebackers a lot. The tackle numbers are obviously always, you know, important in that circumstance, in that situation, but every single IDP league, very different in terms of what the scoring system is and in terms of how many players you start. So that obviously impacts your rankings out there, you know, for each of your own independent leagues. But if we if we take a look at the linebackers, and we're going to start right at the top, you know, Devin White from Tampa Bay, Devin Bush, Pittsburgh, those seem to be the two clear-cut blue-chip type talents in this draft class. They sit at the top of my rankings. Uh, Devin White won, followed by Devin Bush. I think they're both really talented players, three-down type players, can play sideline to sideline. Really intrigued by both their skill sets. Doug, let me go to you first. What is your take on the two Devins? Do you prefer one over the other? Do you think they're pretty close in terms of you know talent level, in terms of possible future fantasy value? I've actually been a Devin White fan throughout the whole process. I I struggle to see what everybody else sees with with Devin Bush. Um, I see him. I saw him basically as an edge rusher playing middle linebacker. I did not see him when I was watching the tape. See him do a lot of side to line to sideline chase and tackle kind of stuff. Um, so I actually had him graded down a little bit lower. Now, obviously, going to Pittsburgh is going to help that with their tremendous linebacking reputation. Um, that's, that's a good place for, for him to land. But I think that Devin White is clearly the superior of the two Devins. Bill, let me bring you in. Same thing, Devin White, Devin Bush. What's your take on both of these guys? Obviously, you know, two guys in the top 10 there. What do you make of the situation? Yeah, I'm with you hundred percent. Uh, Bush, um, I'm I'm kind of a big character guy, and I know that doesn't always translate with fantasy football. Trying to draft a guy with it's a little bit higher character, but I just feel like Devin Bush uh, to me doesn't seem like uh, the type of guy that I want as a, as a franchise type player. Um, I believe White is a little more athletic. Um, I think that 
um, teams are going to have to really come after the Buccaneers because the Bucs are going to put a bunch of points on the board. So that's going to give the defense a lot of chances um, for interceptions to get after the quarterback. Um, and I, I think that um, in that system in Tampa Bay, I think that he's going to eat really well. Interesting to hear both of you guys kind of say you clearly have Devin White ahead of Devin Bush. I think I'm a little bit uh, different than both of you guys. I do believe that, you know, Devin Bush is right up there with Devin White. While White is my number one on my rankings, Devin Bush is right there behind them. And I don't think there's a a really big gap. I think in in some IDP leagues, you're going to see these two guys go pretty early, even mixed in with the offensive rookies, because I do think, They offer a lot of upside, a lot of redound potential. So I think both of those guys are really intriguing. And Warren being taken pretty high in in IDP leagues as well. So you guys seem to be have White clearly above Devin Bush. I think for me, they're more a 1A and a 1B in terms of how I view them. I prefer White, but I don't think Bush is that far off of him. So Doug, let me bring you back in here. What is the top of your linebacker ranks look like? Obviously, I know over at DLF, you have your rankings up there. What does the top of your linebacker rookie rankings for IDP look like? Let's take a look. After the Devons, I would say that you, I would have, actually, let me pull up my rankings on DLF, shameless plug, and I can tell you exactly who they are. So I actually have Josh Allen between the two Devons. And that is because I actually think – I know that everybody looks at Josh Allen as a great pass rusher, which he really is. But when I was watching him, I saw enough uh, ability, enough play in the, in, the, in the passing game that I actually think that he is an excellent three-down linebacker. And I actually think he's somebody that you may actually be able to steal a little bit, maybe not a little bit later, maybe not like a couple of rounds later, but – people are devaluing him because they see him only as a pass rusher. And I actually think that he has enough athleticism to be a three down linebacker and, and play the, and, and play the, the, the pass game against the tight ends and the running backs coming out of the backfield. I think he's athletic enough to do that after him, uh, just to look at my top five, uh, Bobby Okariki and Jermaine Pratt were the other two guys that, that rounded out my top five. So I have the same five as you, Doug, the the guys right there, just a little bit different order. I have Devin White at number one, like I mentioned, Devin Bush right behind him. Then I have Josh Allen three, if he gets that designation, you know, as a linebacker. And then I have Jermaine Pratt four and Bobby Orique five. So we have the same five names in there. I'm really intrigued by Pratt. I think I love those guys that are former safeties. I think it's the wave of the future, the ability to play sideline to sideline, to have those cover skills. I know around the combine, you know, I talked to our guy, EC, and we both like Pratt a little bit more than maybe mainstream consensus was at that time. So I like that he's got some land, some draft capital attached to him. I'm intrigued by his skill set. So I think he's a guy that I'm definitely could be targeting in drafts. And then Bobby, uh, Orique with the Colts, 
another fast athletic type guy. Obviously, they drafted Darius Leonard last year. So adding, he's probably going to compliment him really well and play alongside him. I think he definitely could have some fantasy viability. I could see those guys kind of developing into a little bit more modern day uh, Quan Alexander and Levante David. Obviously, we saw both of those linebackers in Tampa Bay be able to put up a lot of stats in production and fantasy circles. Both were really good athletes. I think uh, I think Leonard and uh, Arikwe could possibly be that as well. So that's kind of what my top five looks like in terms of that. So before we move on, Doug, what's your take on Pratt and, and uh, Arikwe in terms of immediate playing time? I know I like their talent and like their opportunity, but do you think they're going to get on the field sooner rather than later and have an immediate impact? I think so. I think Okariki, um, I think that there's enough opportunity there because they brought in Justin Houston, but he's really brought in to, to, to rush the passer. So his... So there's there's still that other linebacker spot next to floor, next to yeah uh, uh, Darius Leonard I'm sorry um, next to Darius Leonard that's still available so I think that that Okariki could actually take that job and 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 get you some good year one numbers and then with Pratt with the Bengals they've got a brand new coaching staff so you know it's it's kind of in in my mind that spot is wide open and Pratt's just as talented as just about anybody else they've got there at that linebacking core. So that may be that maybe he may be a guy that you might want to watch a little closer in training camp and in the preseason games and see if he's maybe getting a little extra run with the ones. Cause he might, he's somebody who could jump up and, and maybe snag a, a, a role. But let me bring you back in here. Any thoughts of, on any of the linebackers that we already discussed or any other name that you think is, that you really has piqued your interest in terms of a guy that you're watching closely definitely might potentially put an investment in that either we haven't mentioned or if you want to elaborate on any of the guys we already did? Yeah, I mean, there, there are guys, again, they, they kind of go uh, lumped in together for me. I like Pratt a little bit. Um, that that uh, linebacking core has some openings in it. Um, Blake Cashman's a guy that's getting a little run, but I'm a little less on him than uh, a lot of others. One guy I want to mention um, that is not getting any pub from anybody um, is Cody Barton. And Cody Barton is a guy that, you know, he may not have got a lot of publicity because of the fact that he was only a one-year full-time starter, but he's got some draft capital. We don't talk about draft capital enough with linebackers, but – the Seahawks took him in the third round. Here's a kid that put 30 reps up on the bench, runs a 4-6-4-40, had a 6-9-3 cone. He's got a great football IQ. And that Seahawk linebacking core, you can have success in there. Um, K.J. Wright's coming off an injury. He's getting older in the tooth. Um, I think that this is a guy that, um, depending on your roster sizes and construction, that you can, you can put on a taxi or stash. He's probably not going to give you much production this year, but he's a guy that I really, really like quite a bit. Yeah, I think, Bill, you bring up two really interesting names there with Blake Cashman. Obviously, there's an opportunity with the Jets for a linebacker to play alongside C.J. Mosley. Obviously, you know, recently traded uh, Lee, so he's no longer on the team. So, you know, Cashman's a name to to monitor closely, but I, I kind of want to elaborate a little bit on Cody Barden, the guy you talked about there a little bit more in depth. I mean, Seattle invested, you know, 
good draft capital in him. He's a top 100 pick. There seems to be an opportunity there. So I think your intrigue by Barton is something that is going a little bit under the radar in the IDP community. And I think Cody Barton is a guy who should be mentioned, you know, with, you know, some of these other linebackers that I'm going to mention momentarily, but I think Barden is a guy that's kind of getting lost in the shuffle a little bit. And maybe people just didn't know who he was pre-draft. I, I know he was a guy that I thought was going to go top 100. He was in my, you know, draft projections notebook as a guy who I expected to go off the board, you know, in the top 100 pick. So I think he's got the draft capital. I think he's got opportunity and I think he's just, you know, he wasn't a guy being talked about a lot. So I just think people are a little bit down on him right now. And I think you up a good point that he really is a guy that you know we should be paying a little bit more attention to because I do think uh you know he he's a talented player Doug let me bring you in here any thoughts on either Cashman or Barden or any other the radar names that intrigue you uh that that you might be interested in that we haven't mentioned uh yet yeah, Cashman actually was, is a little bit better player than, uh, than I was giving him credit for. I actually didn't watch his tape before the combine, and then he came and showed out and really, you know, really kind of got my attention. He's somebody who I actually think is, a, is, is probably worth the hype. Um, Barton isn't a guy that I've been crazy about, um, but that's just, you know, yeah, and everybody's going to love everybody. The guy who I actually really liked, if, you, if we're going to pull sleepers out of the bag here, um, the guy who I really liked was Ulysses Gilbert out of Akron. He was the second linebacker chosen by the Steelers in this draft. And I actually thought that he was somebody who could really kind of, who really could come in and play the NFL role um, right away. So he may be somebody that you may have to, to sit on for a year or two and to get through the taxi squad. Um, but, I, but I think he's somebody who's got all the traits and all the measurables to, to go out there and, and really perform at, at a nice level. So it's interesting that you bring up Gilbert there. Gilbert is a guy who, you know, I didn't know much about him. I think it was Tony Pauline from Draft Analyst who was a pretty big fan of him, talked him up a little bit on his podcast, you know, and I think you're right. I think he's got some opportunity there. I think, you know, he's going to play probably alongside, you know, Devin Bush and get an opportunity there. He might not start out, you know, playing a lot of snaps, but there's there you and, and, and Tony and, and other people I've heard intrigued with the skill set. So Gilbert is, a, is an under the radar guy. Maybe he doesn't get drafted or maybe he's a guy you can stash in your taxi squad in, in deep dynasty leagues. But I think he's a player nonetheless that we should keep an eye on because there's an opportunity there in Pittsburgh, you know, for two guys to kind of take over and take the reins a little bit of that inside linebacker position. And I think he's an intri- intriguing name uh, that could get an opportunity to there down the line so i think that's you know kind of something to monitor closely the next guys in my rankings six through ten are jelani tavai to the lions sioni takitaki to cleveland i have cody barden we already talked about him uh after that it's mac wilson at number nine and then blake cashman who we've talked about as well so Let's start with Mac Wilson a little bit because I do think he's the most intriguing in that group. He was a guy who was generating late round one buzz, you know, in the after the college football season. Then it seemed to be, okay, that's a little bit too high. He's probably more of a day two guy. So I think most people thought he was going to go day two. And then obviously falling all the way to day three, round five. Doug, what is your thoughts on 
Mac Wilson, do you believe, uh, you know, that he should have fallen as much as he did? And actually, Bill, let me start with you first. What, what's your thoughts on Mac Wilson? And then Doug, I'll bounce it over to you. Um, I'm not a fan. I, I think that if you're, if you're running, I don't know, 55 plus roster spots, you, you know, you could probably taxi him, but, um, he's just a guy that I'm really not interested in, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, Bill, I think you make some good points there. You know, in terms of Mac Wilson's game, I, I, I feel like Alabama players sometimes get the bump up because the notoriety, they're always on TV, and they always have a good defense. But it's sometimes some of these guys are more a product of what's around them than their actual talent individually. And I think Mac Wilson and the guy we'll talk about the DBs later, Deontay Thompson, I think those are two guys that, you know, kind of went along for the ride with the Alabama defense. But obviously when people broke down individually, these guys, they didn't think as highly of them. And that's why, you know, they're falling to where they are. Doug, thoughts on Mac Wilson? Are you in the same scenario as Bill? Not that high on him. Did you think he should have won significantly earlier? Actually, I was never that crazy about him. Um, actually, the notes that I have on him is that he, he seemed to lack urgency and that he was a poor pass defender. And those are two things that you cannot be lacking in when you get to the NFL, um, just because it's such a pass-heavy league that if you can't play the pass well, that you're just not going to see snaps no matter how good of a tackler you are in the run game. So I was not surprised to see him fall that far. Um, you know, it's one, it's one of those things of when you're going through the evaluation, sometimes you, sometimes you're right on with the national media and sometimes you're not. And so he was one of those guys that, that I was, that when they were talking around one, I'm like, boy, I just don't see that. I just don't see that. And then when he falls to the NFL talent evaluators, and you're like, well, maybe I wasn't as wrong as I thought I was. But then with like somebody like Ulysses Gilbert, who I had like really high and I thought he could, had a potential to go in the third round, and then he goes in the sixth. You're like, okay, so that's the football guys taking that one back and keeping you humble. So if we transition away from Mac Wilson, I think that was a good conversation about him. A couple of those other guys that I mentioned before in my six through ten range. I want to get your guys' thoughts on uh, Taki Taki and uh, Jelani Tavai. Both of those guys went in you know, night two of the NFL draft, so they both got some draft capital attached to them. Tavai reminds me a little bit of a Kyle Van Noy type. I think, you know, he could do a little bit of everything. He can, he can rush the passer. He can play to run. He can cover a little bit, you know, so Tavai intrigues me. And then Taki Taki is a guy that was a little bit of a late riser here, you know, and you kind of heard in the pre-draft process about him making his way, uh, you know, potentially into being a top 100 pick. And, and that's kind of where he landed on these, Doug, any thoughts? I'll start with you first on Tavai or Takitaki in terms of their value, in terms of what you think of them as players. No, they're uh, further down. In fact, I don't even have Tavai ranked in my top 25 for DLF. I do have Takitaki at 18, um, but I thought it, I see that as, a, as like Bill uh, alluded to earlier, that, that 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 linebacking core is a little bit messy. It's kind of a crowded situation there, so that is – so I'm not really kind of overly crazy about jumping on either one of those guys. Bill, let me shoot it over to you. Any thoughts on either of those guys? Uh, are you fans of them? Are you interest, interested in any of them? Are any of those guys guys that you might potentially be targeting in your IDP dress? Yeah, I, I really like Tavai quite a bit, you know, and, and I put him kind of in that grouping uh, after Devin White and Devin Bush. Um, 
you know, there's five or six guys that I like. I like Blake Cashman. I like, you know, Okireki. I like uh, Tavai. Um, you know, I, I like, I even like Josh Allen a little bit. So I kind of put him in there. And that's, again, one of those where wait and see, wait and see, wait and see, and see who falls. Um, even though it is a little muddy there in Detroit, um, I do think that there's opportunity for someone to make a name for themselves. And I like his game. I think that he plays with a tenacity, has a high motor. Um, so I definitely, uh, I definitely think that, um, that he's solid. You know, he's, he's not going to wow anybody, but he can go in there and, uh, and, and be, be consistent, I think. So let's go to the next couple guys on my rankings at the off-the-ball linebacker positions. I have Voshan Joseph, who went to the Bills, Drew Tranquil, who went to the Chargers, and Ben Burkirvin, who went to the Seahawks. You know, Joseph is another guy who some thought could go top 100, very athletic, sideline-to-sideline type player. Drew Tranquil, you know, at a Notre Dame, another guy some people thought can go a little bit earlier. And then Ben Burkirvin to the Seahawks. You know, Seahawks are revamping that entire defense. We already talked a little bit about Cody Barton. They also added Burkirvin, you know, so... Any thoughts? I'll start there, Doug, with you. Any thoughts on those three guys, Joseph, Tranquil, or Burkirvin? Any of them intrigue you at all? I actually have those guys pretty much all lumped right together. Um, so I, I see them as, as kind of all very similar. They're all that same tier. Um, I don't know if there's really one that really kind of stands out. Voson Joseph maybe um, a little bit more than the rest. I did like his tape a little bit better. Um, I think next to next to Edmonds in Buffalo that, that he'll have a he'll have a, a chance to, to get some run there. But those three guys very very similar to me. Bill, what about you, Joseph Tranquil, Burkirvin? Any of those guys are guys that you're you're watching or just kind of you know observing from the far, maybe keeping them on a watch list, but not guys you want to invest a draft pick in and you know uh, take a chance on on holding them and, and killing a roster spot with those guys. Yeah, I, I, I much, uh, I much prefer, um, Cody, you know, there, there, as far as the draft capital there, um, I, am not sure what his, his role is going to be, um, with, with, um, you know, being drafted in the fifth round. Again, a lot of, a lot of times these, these particular situations look quite a bit like depth picks, you know, they look like, um, something that, that uh, I'd have a hard time putting a, a bunch of stock in, in terms of from a from an IDP standpoint. You know, a lot of these guys I think are way better football players than they are um, than they are IDP assets. And you know, back to Tavai, he was picked um, second round, eleventh eleventh pick of the second round. That's that's legit. You know, so um, when you get down into the fifth round, it gets it gets pretty muddy. I do like Joseph's athleticism. I think that the Buffalo Bills is a place where. Um, I'm really curious to see um, the evolution of that team. I think the offense is going to take a step forward. I like some of the weapons that they've gotten for Josh Allen there. I think the defense is improving. Um, I think Joseph could have a role there. Um, I think he could actually um, probably make a name on special teams as well. I think he's a guy that could could do some stuff on special teams. Um, So out of those guys you mentioned, I'd probably like Joseph the best. Before we transition to some edge slash outside linebacker prospects where the whole designation comes back into play even more, are there any other linebackers left out there, whether they're sleepers, whether they're guys that we didn't elaborate on? Is there anybody out there that 
we didn't talk about yet that you think warrants being discussed. Doug, I'll first go to you. No, I think I think we've covered pretty much the the ones that you'd be that you'd be targeting in an IDP draft. But what about you? Any any other under the radar linebackers that we have not talked about yet tonight that you think warrant attention? Uh, no, I, I think that uh, I think that Andrew Van Ginkle is a, an interesting guy. Um, I, I don't really like what's going on in Miami. There's there's a wide open depth chart in Miami. So again, sometimes you just have to take stabs and look at uh, you know what the depth chart looks like. Um, I think there's definitely opportunity in Miami. That team's in flux. They're going to be losing um, pretty much every game, um, and, and so the defense is going to be out there trying to you know tackle their butts off. So uh, he's a guy that, that kind of. Um, again, you're, you're talking like late, late draft that, that I might have some interest in. Yeah, I mean, I think Van Ginkle is an interesting name, fifth round pick there. So he's a, he's a guy like those under the radar guys. I'll, I'll add uh, one to the mix and that's going to be Ryan Connolly f- for the New York Giants. Obviously he's a guy, Giants depth chart, the linebacker position is wide open. I believe after Alec Ogletree, I don't think BJ Goodson is locked in as a starter. Connolly's a guy who was a former walk on who worked his way up to, you know, all big 10 linebacker, really good instincts, you know, obviously tested really well in terms of his speed and, and uh, 10 yard split at the combine as well. Good tackler. So I think Connolly's an intriguing name to keep an eye on because I think he could earn more playing time, probably start as, you know, as a depth linebacker special teams guy. But I do think that he could potentially seize the job from BJ Goodson down the line. I do not think BJ Goodson is somebody who, you know, has that job locked up. So he would probably be my one sleeper that I would mention to keep a close eye on Ryan Connolly out of, uh, out of the giants. So let's go back to what I was talking about. Let's transition this to the edge prospects here. Obviously we know designation, whatever site you're playing on, you know, these guys who are these hybrid players, are they classified as D line or specifically defensive end? Are they classified as linebackers? You know, it's such a it's such a gray area now in terms of the NFL because so many teams are are running, you know, forty to sixty percent sub packages and then even then so they have hybrid four threes and three fours. So it's really tough in the in the fantasy world these designations, but they really do dramatically swing value of guys, you know, in, in traditional IDP leagues where tackles, you know, get a lot of points, you know, and then their sack numbers aren't, you know, bonus points for sacks or, or high points for sacks, you know, all of a sudden these guys kind of get lost in the shuffle a little bit if they're compared to other linebackers. So, I know at the back of my linebacker board, I kind of put a couple of these pass rushing guys that could be designated potentially either as linebackers or defensive linemen. I know it's Montez Sweat from the Redskins, Chase Winovich in New England, Christian Miller to Carolina, DeAndre Walker to Tennessee. Those are the kind of guys that that I'm intrigued by. Doug, any thoughts on on the, that list there of four guys? Do you think uh, any of those guys warrant our attention? Am I missing somebody off that list? You know, that really piques your interest. Sweat's the guy I want out of that. So let's got a lot to unpack with that statement. So um, one, Sweat's out of that group that you named, Sweat's the guy that I want. Two, uh, if I was going to throw another name in there, that would be Brian Burns, who Carolina also took to go with Christian Miller. So they were there. They doubled down on the pass rushers. I think that's my biggest question. Do you think, Doug, that Brian Burns is a 
guy who is going to have a designation as a linebacker or is he going to be more defensive lineman? Because I didn't even classify him on my rankings as a linebacker. But if he is, that obviously changes the narrative a little bit. That was what point number three was. If you haven't been, if you haven't been keeping up on the ins and outs of the way that my fantasy league works, in the past they have always done roto uses use roto world depth charts to determine player designations. As of yesterday, that changed. They will now be their player designations will be now be determined by fantasy sharks. Um, Gary Davenport and his folks over there. So there is a new method. There's a new sheriff in town. So there may be a new methodology. So some of these guys that we were kind of getting a feel of, oh, we think he's going to be a linebacker. We think he's going to be a defensive end. Those may be changing here in the, this year. So that may be something to keep to keep an eye on. Bill, your thoughts on any of these edge guys that I mentioned, Winovich, Miller, Walker, uh, Sweat, any of those guys are guys that we should be watching closely. Typically, the way that I handle these types of edge guys is I let the other folks reach for them. Uh, from an IDP perspective, there's always someone that's reaching for that next big thing, the next Khalil Mack. Um, I got burnt on Khalil Mack. I was all in on Khalil Mack. I had a billion shares of him, and I hung on and, and, and ended up getting a few good years. But that Mickey Mousing back and forth from linebacker to, to uh, defensive end, that was a painful process for me, and that's probably one of the best um, examples I can give of recent history. So I'd rather let someone else have the headache. Um, if one of these guys falls in a draft, you know, to say the fourth round or the fifth round, I'll take a stab. I'll, I'll you know, I'll, I'll put a guy on a taxi squad and kind of cross my fingers and do a Hail Mary and hope that he gets the designation of defensive end. But I really don't want to play that game with um, spending draft capital third round or higher. Um, you know, I've seen guys take sweat in the second round and IDP drafts, and, and it's just like, I mean, there's – 10 different players I'd rather have um, probably 20 different players I'd rather have than him at, you know, at the 2.10. Yeah. I'm right there with you, Bill. I, when it comes to these guys who are classified as linebackers, who are more edge prospects and pass rushers, I really don't uh, invest highly of them. Usually somebody else based on name value and name brand drafts these guys ahead of me. I don't really you know, it's just so much risk reward. Their their position values and designations change from year to year based on what scheme their team's playing. So I, I'm right there with you. I usually try to avoid these guys if possible because I do think that, you know, a guy can be really valuable one year and then change the next year. I know recently Olivier Vernon, uh, that was the case for, you know, obviously Miami and early on with the Giants, he was designated defensive lineman, high, you know, caliber defensive end prospect in terms of fantasy then the Giants changed to a three four last year his designation changed to outside linebacker his fantasy value took a massive hit so now you know this year in Cleveland probably gonna go back to being a defensive lineman obviously the volatile uh up and down uh very volatile in terms of what these guys fantasy value could be because of that so I think that is kind of hits the point that you're trying to make that the risk is not usually worth the rewards It's better to let somebody else, you know, unless you can get really good value on them. So let's take this to the defensive line position, which is obviously made up of the defensive end and the defensive tackles. Some leagues obviously break it down between those many leagues are just defensive linemen. So Doug, let me go to you first. First off, do you think Joey uh, Bosa and Josh Allen 
are going to be, and I said Joey Bosa, do you think Nick Bosa and Josh Allen are going to be classified as defensive linemen, or you think there's a greater chance that they are classified as linebackers in their schemes that they're going to be running with San Francisco and Jacksonville? I think that Bosa will definitely be designated as a DE. I think with Telvin Smith taking a year off out of the blue the way that he happened, I think that jo- that almost certainly locks Josh Allen in as a linebacker because they're going to need uh, they're going to need somebody to, to to plug in next to Miles Jack. Uh, I think I personally think that Miles Jack will take the take the middle spot and then um, and then they'll plug jo- Josh Allen in at the weak linebacker position. Uh, I know Tom Kisslingberry and B both uh, disagree with that statement. They think that they'll leave Miles Jack at the weak and plug in somebody else in the middle um that's still yet to be determined but but that is but i think that that josh allen is locked in at the linebacker just because of what happened with telvin smith yeah i mean I think that makes a good point you know with the you know with the loss of telvin smith i think you're probably spot on about josh allen you know being classified as a linebacker i know when i made my rankings i started with both at the top i did include josh allen in both the defensive line and the linebacker board Allen would be my number two. Cleveland Farrell was my number three. Brian Burns. And then I had Montez Sweat as my number five. Doug, what does your rankings uh, look like? Thoughts on Farrell? Obviously, he went a lot higher than everyone expected. Did you like the player or are you buying into the opportunity uh, that he has here? And then also even the defensive tackles. You know, right after my top five, I have Ed Oliver and Quinn Williams in the Leagues that whether defensive linemen include both DEs and DTs or leagues that specialize in DTs as well. Your thoughts on those guys and the impact they could have in terms of fantasy? Yeah, absolutely. And then Cleveland Farrell, if we want to talk about draft capital meeting a lot, he was kind of a mid-tier guy to me. I, I, I liked him. I didn't love him. But with him going 4-2 to, to the Raiders, uh, that helped push him up my rankings. Um now we do kind of combine a DLF, so I've actually got Burns and Allen as kind of my next two guys on the on the defensive line. After them, though, would come Quinn and Williams, Ed Oliver, and then Chase Winovich would be kind of the if you're going to take those two kind of linebacker guys, potential linebacker guys out. Those guys would be my top five. I th- normally you wouldn't rank a defensive tackle that high, but Quinn and Williams is such a such a talent and such a such an immovable force that I think that he he's worth being pushed that high. And then Ed Oliver in that Buffalo situation, I really like him there. And he, and I actually really thought that he was somebody who, who I, he, his, the star kind of, his star kind of faded a little bit during the season. Um, but once the combine process and the, and the drafting process kind of kicked back up, you kind of revisited and kind of remembered why everybody kind of thought that he was, had the potential to be maybe even the number one overall pick at the start of 20, uh, the 2018 season. So, that so those two guys normally you wouldn't put defensive tackles that high, but I really like those two, and I really feel confident in, in putting them that high. One guy I did not hear you mention at all, Doug, was Montez Sweat. Did I miss hearing his name? Did you have him further down the rankings? Are you not in terms of the defensive line groups? Are you not as high on Sweat, and that's why? I actually actually have him at fourteen on my D line. And part of that too is situation. The, the, there's a lot of mouse to feed on the, on that Washington, on that Washington front seven too. 
But let me bring this over to you. Your thoughts on the defensive line rankings? Who intrigues you? You know, what do you think about these rare athletic defensive tackles that are that were in this draft as well? Well, I'll tell you, uh, Bosa's the cream of the crop, of course. Uh, I think he's going to be a plug-and-play defensive end that's going to have a lot of success. But, you know, people are reaching for him. So uh, I probably will own zero shares. Um, it gets muddy, again, with the designations and trying to figure out. I will tell you, the thing that I'm most excited about, and actually, um, you know, is in my, in my leagues where it requires defensive tackle, this is one of the best defensive tackle drafts I've seen in a while. You have six guys that uh, – one, two, three, four, five, six guys that have first-round draft capital. Uh, Williams and Ed Oliver, the cream of the crop, I think they're outstanding. Um, they warrant early picks in, in defensive tackle premium leagues. Uh, Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence, uh, Jeffrey Simmons, and Jerry Tillery, all four of those guys I think um, can be valuable assets on defensive tackle-required leagues. Um, it's very, very rare – I think that you have this this um, level of athleticism um, at the defensive tackle position all in the first round. So that's probably one of the, kind of the hidden gems areas that I'm looking at in IDP this year um, in my defensive tackle required leagues is trying to pick up some of these guys. Now, people are um, savvy to Williams and Oliver, um, especially Williams. I've seen some pretty high prices paid for Quinn and Williams in defensive tackle required leagues, but um, if you can get one of these guys at a good price, I think that they're gold. I completely – oh, I'm sorry. I'm right there with you, Bill. I think these defensive tackles, I think Oliver and Quinn Williams are really special guys. I think both of those guys are guys that could put up good sack numbers, good tackle numbers. Their athleticism is is top-notch. Uh, really impressed by both of those guys, you know, in terms of what they can bring to the table. I want to bring up another defensive tackle. What do we think of Jeffrey Simmons? Obviously, the Titans drafted him. This is going to be a little bit of a red shirt year, but I do think that uh, he is going to be a guy that's been comped a lot to Fletcher Cox, really talented player. Uh, some thought he could be potentially a top five pick in this draft without the injury and everything going on there. Uh, does he belong in this mix here that we're talking about with Quinn Williams and Ed Oliver. Doug, I'll start with you. It's like we've done this before, Paul. <laughs> uh, yeah, Simmons is the guy who actually I think you can, you can steal a little bit uh, because of his injury, because of the fact that he slid. Um, you're probably going to have to sit on him and wait on him for a little bit, maybe a half a year, maybe even a whole year. But, if, but the return on investment for him is so high that I'm willing to take that chance. In fact, in the DLF IDP staff league, I actually traded up to go get Simmons when I saw him, when I saw him start to slide. So, and so that's how much that I think that, that I, I vow that I think that he's a value. But what about you? Do you, you mentioned a lot about the defensive tackles before that really intrigued you. Do you think Simmons is on par with, you know, in that same group with Oliver, with Quinn and Williams, do you think Simmons deserves to be considered in that group? And, you know, do you like the value that he is right now, you know, because people are probably looking for a little bit more immediate production and he's obviously a guy you're going to have to wait on. He's right there with them. Um, he is exactly right there with them. And again, um, you know, the unknown, right? Injuries. We never know how someone's going to bounce back. These guys are large mammoth dudes. So rehabbing um, stress on bodies, and joints and different things. There's all kinds of things that can, can affect that. So 
Um, there is a risk. There is a gamble. But if you can get him at a reasonable price, if given if he were healthy, I, I would actually probably have him. Um, I'd probably have Williams, Simmons, Oliver, um, and I'd have them all in the same tier. Next up in my rankings, guys, is Rayshon Gary to the Packers, LJ Collier to the Seahawks, uh, and Jerry Tillery to the Los Angeles Chargers. Obviously, Tillery is a guy who I think is natural best place is probably as a five tech defensive end could also play inside a defensive tackle, which I think he's probably going to be asked to do there with the chargers. He's an intriguing player. Rayshon Gary. I don't know what to make of Rayshon Gary's, you know, is he going to play linebacker? Is that going to be his designation? Is he going to be a defensive end? Is he going to kick inside and play defensive tackle in sub packages, which is, I think he needs to be on the line and kick inside as much as possible. I think that's where his athleticism really can shine. And then LJ Collier, obviously going to get a little bit of an opportunity there in Seattle there with Frank Clark on Collier is a guy that some people weren't as high on, but the Seahawks targeted him and they wanted him to fill a big need. So he's another guy that that's kind of, you know, going to get an opportunity to start probably right out of the get go. So I think all three of those guys are, are kind of intriguing. Doug, what do you make of those three guys? Is there one from that group that intrigues you more than the others? Yeah, I don't know what to make of Rashawn Gary, to be quite honest. I was actually going to ask Bill that um, to, to, to get Bill's opinion because, yeah, he's, he's one of those guys. I agree with you that he's probably better on the defensive line. You want him going forward. You don't want him dropping back in coverage. So, to me, you would want almost prefer him to be playing along that defensive line. And then Tillery, and who was the other guy? I don't remember. I'm sorry. Collier. Um Tillery, I really liked coming out. Uh, Collier, I liked his landing spot uh, just because they they moved on from from Frank Clark. They sent him off to the Chiefs. So I think Collier could come in there, and there's a role for him there. Uh, but between the two, uh, Tillery's a, I really like Tillery's uh, uh, athleticism, especially from that defensive tackle spot. But let me bring you in your thoughts, you know, on Rayshon Gary, like Doug mentioned, like I mentioned, do you, do you see it a situa- situation of where you think he's best in terms of where he should be playing uh, and any other thoughts on the other guys that I mentioned as well? I love Tillery. I think he's, he's uh, got a lot of traits that you like to see. He's got versatility. Um, you know, I, I just, Gary, I, I'm just not really sold that he has all of the tools. I think that he's got some, some limited uh, a bill is some limited situations where you don't necessarily want him on the field. And from an IDP standpoint, that can, that can come back to hurt you. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, again, it, it, a lot of it is dependent on roster depth and, and, you know, how deep your leagues are, but I'm probably not rostering him in any leagues. Yeah. I mean, I think Tillery and Gary, I think those guys are guys that their versatility, I think, is what really intrigues me the most about those guys. Obviously, uh, they're they're two very talented players. Tillery more production, Gary more the athletic upside and the traits type player. But they really, you know, could be pretty rewarding players. They come with some risk, I think, especially Gary. But th- their upside is pretty substantial, especially if uh, Gary is classified as a defensive lineman. And I do think uh, Tillery, you know, if he's classified as strictly a defensive tackle, I think in defensive tackle, you know, leagues where you need to pick defensive tackles, I think that even increases the value of Tillery as well. So I think both of those guys weren't being picked in deep IDP leagues. So I'm kind of intrigued with them uh, as well. 
Next couple names on my list are Zach Allen, who went to the Cardinals, uh, Ben Baganu, who went to the Colts, and then Christian Wilkins, who went to Miami. All are very different in terms of their talent levels, in terms of their skill sets, in terms of their draft capital. I'm intrigued by Christian Wilkins. I think he's not that far removed from Tillery in terms of his upside. And I think, you know, he could even, you know, be considered in the group of those other defensive tackles, the Oliver Williams and Simmons. If down the line he puts up, you know, similar stats to those guys, it wouldn't surprise me either. I do think Christian Wilkins is very good. Definitely think he belongs pretty close to the same level as Jerry Tillery. So, you know, I I think I, I like some of these guys here at the back end of this, but I kind of want to hear your thoughts, guys. So, Doug, let me start with you. What do you think of these three guys, you know, Allen, Ben, uh, Ben, and Wilkins? I think of that group. Um, Christian Wilkins is clearly of the three. I, I agree with you that I think that he might be a step back from Tillery. Um, I, he, um, in my rankings, he's the next defensive tackle after Tillery. Um, but he's still of the three that you mentioned. He's he's the three there. Uh, he's the top of those three. Uh, Banagoo, like you said, he's somebody. Uh, he's somebody that I get. A, I feel like you you have to wait a year on, um, especially with the, signing Justin Houston. I think that 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 that'll be Houston's job this year, and then maybe Banagoo will come in uh, at the end of the at the end of the year. And then Zach Allen, I've never been. I wasn't crazy on him um, going through the process. I didn't think that he was quite athletic enough. Um, but since that is Bill's Cardinals, I will defer all Cardinals info to, to Mr. William. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a really an Allen fan. Um, I, I don't, I don't think that you, you've, we've got, haven't gotten production out of that, out of that role for a while there in Arizona. And I think that the, the depth chart is pretty solidified. Um, the guy that I'm really surprised, Paulie, that you didn't didn't uh, mention is Dexter Lawrence. Um, I do like Christian Wilkins quite a bit. He's definitely going to probably earn a, a starting spot. Um, you know, his draft capital, he's picked 13th overall. But Dexter Lawrence um, picked 17th overall. Dalvin Tomlinson has never really impressed me. Um, he's a guy that I think has underperformed a little bit. He's kind of just a guy. Um, and I really think that uh, Dexter could could actually surprise some people. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought up Dexter Lawrence. I think he's a guy that is really flying under the radar, and here's my reason for it. I really do think it's right now the New York media, the national media, they are really down on anything the Giants do, you know, from, you know, last year passing on the quarterback to, you know, trading OBJ this year, then taking Daniel Jones. And Dexter Lawrence has just kind of gotten, you know, mixed into all of this other negativity around the Giants. And listen, if he's just a two-down run stuffer, then the pick when they took him at 17 was a reach for sure. And there's a lot of people in the national media and the New York media that continue to just kind of say, yeah, they traded away Snacks Harrison for a fifth-round pick, and then they basically drafted his replacement in the first round. I don't think they think that Dexter Lawrence is Snacks Harrison. I think they see a player who is really athletic for a man his size, who can get into the backfield and cause disruption, 
you know, if you look back, Dexter Lawrence's first year as a freshman, he had seven and a half sacks. The last two years, he only had, I think, three or three and a half. He was battling a foot injury. He's already said that he potentially wants to drop 20 to 25 pounds, you know, and play a little bit lighter. So I think, I think Lawrence is a guy who in DT leagues that are required, I think he's great value. And I even think in D line leagues that are deep ones, I think he could surprise people. I think he's going to be a guy that's going to get a lot of playing time right off the bat. I don't think he's going to be a player that comes off the field all the time, you know, on third downs and never gets a chance to rush the quarterback. I think the Giants have much bigger plans for him, but right now everything surrounding the Giants is just so much negativity. So I think that's kind of, uh, you know, what the issue is there, you know, with Dexter Lawrence, but I do think he's going to get every opportunity. And if he shows some of that, those flashes from his freshman year, I think that could dramatically, uh, you know, improve you know what people are thinking about him and potentially his fantasy viability as well bill anything else on dexter lawrence there or anybody else that we either mentioned quickly or you want to go back to listen the thing about dexter lawrence i mean he's not fast but he's not slow the dude is 342 pounds he ran a 505 that's that's trucking along pretty good 36 reps on the bench thank you sign me up for that and the thing that i really like the most is he gets really good leverage and his hands are 10 and a half inches. So he's, he's got, you know, good size with his arms. He's got big hands. Uh, he's super strong. I just think that he's, I just think he's being a little underrated by the, by the fantasy community. Um, again, in, in defensive tackle required leagues, he's a guy I'm absolutely all over and, and he's, and I'm glad to get him because I'm getting him basically for free. Yeah, I agree with you, Bill, you know, on Lawrence, I think that is, you know, is something that we should definitely be, you know, following him closely, seeing how he looks in, in training camp early on, you know, in, in his, uh, the regular season as well. Doug, let me shoot this over to you. Any other guys, uh, that we haven't mentioned that you want to talk about or you find intriguing? Uh, in terms of defensive linemen, I would say Draymond Jones fits that bill and, And then the second thing that I wanted to bring up, and this is sliding back a little bit to the edge guys, is I wanted to hear what you guys think about Ja'Kai Polite, especially you, Paul, being in that New York market, seeing kind of what the reception is to him. Yeah, Doug, you brought you mentioned, you know, getting my thoughts on Ja'Kai Polite here in New York. Listen, I think the Jets draft has been looked at as a very high risk, high reward. Obviously, they don't get points for Quinn and Williams falling in their lap, you know, but the rest of their other picks, you know, I think they needed to get a bunch of singles and doubles, rock solid starters. They seem to have chosen to go for the the home run and they needed a pass rusher. Polite's going to get every opportunity there. And if he can get back to being the guy that we saw on film and the guy when the college football season ended, you know, then I think that, you know, could be a potential value pick for them in the third round. But if we see this stuff from the pre-draft months, you know, then that's going to look like a wasted pick for them. Obviously, the Jets front office right now in complete turmoil, firing the general manager, you know, who just hired Adam Gase, you know, you know, at the end of the right after the season ended spends a hundred million dollars in free agency, does the entire draft, and then he gets fired. Really bizarre of what's going on there. So the coach 
Adam Gase really doesn't seem like he was on the same page as him. So who knows if these are guys he really wanted in the draft, if he didn't want. Uh, I think the most intriguing thing about Polite in terms of his fantasy value is what's his designation? Because, you know, I'm under the impression I think that he's going to be more of a 3-4 outside linebacker for the Jets. And if he gets a linebacker designation, you know, then I'm really not intrigued by Polite. If he gets that defensive end slash defensive line designation, then I think he's a guy that should be on our radar that, that could intrigue you know, and could have value in terms of the fantasy circles. So it really depends uh, a lot on his designation. So Bill, let me bring you back in on this. Any other defensive linemen that we haven't had a chance uh, to talk about? I know we've talked about Dexter Lawrence a lot and, and some other guys, the defensive tackles uh, as well. Anybody else on the D line that maybe we quickly glance through and you kind of want to circle back to? Um, we didn't really touch – I mean, we didn't – you know, coming back to the, the top few guys draft capital-wise, Lawrence Collier, um, Collier um, that's a pretty interesting situation there. I know they signed Ziggy Asa, but – and I was on Ziggy um, way back when. I was one of his first, you know, table thumpers and planting flags for Ziggy. But he has not been able to stay healthy. Uh, in fact, he's not healthy right now. So, um you know, being drafted 29th overall, the Seahawks have had great success from the defensive end position. Um, you know, the, the exit of Frank Clark leaves a, a gaping hole. Um, so I think that uh, I think that there's some opportunity there, again, uh, as long as you don't have to reach too far for him. Yeah, I mentioned quickly Collier before, and, and I agree with you. I think he has that draft capital. He's going to get the opportunity. He's going to try to fill the void left by Frank Clark there. So I'm right there with you. I think he's a guy that we got to monitor and follow closely, you know, and kind of see, you know, what his role is. I think his draft stock, like I said before, was really all over the place. So some people really liked them. Other people didn't. Uh, obviously, the Seahawks kind of go to their own drum a little bit in terms of the NFL draft. And obviously they thought very highly of this guy. So, you know, I, I, he's, it'll be interesting to kind of follow him closely uh, and and kind of see how he looks. So let's round this out and close out the night by going over to the defensive backs, obviously defensive backs made up of cornerbacks and safeties. Safeties are usually the one that have the most value in the standard IDP leagues. And, and that's mostly because, you know, they just, you know, get more tackles, more opportunity. So I do think, you know, that is in most IDP leagues, safeties get the big bump up. But cornerback required leagues are becoming more and more popular, you know. So obviously we're going to talk about some cornerbacks as well tonight. Obviously there was a couple intriguing ones in this as well. Obviously scoring settings and roster uh configurations, you know, obviously impact, you know, if these guys are even guys that we need to be talking about. So Doug, let me go over to you. What is the top of your defensive back rankings look like for these rookies? Well, I really liked Jonathan Abram coming out and then uh, Oakland went ahead and confirmed that for me. Uh, So he's going to be right at the top of my, of my defensive back uh, rankings there as well, and then Juan Thornhill, as we as we've been talking about all night, a draft capital helped him out, helped push him up. I was not as crazy about Darnell Savage going to going to the Packers early. Um, he wasn't somebody that I thought was was really kind of worth the, the first round pick. So as a Bears fan, I'm always glad when they when they overdraft somebody. So I'm I'm kind of cool with that. But I really don't quite know where to where to 
where to to rank him. I've got him third right now, but he's somebody who I who may go up, may go down. Um, and then Taylor Rapp and Nasir Adderley uh, round out my top five. But I've really got to tell you, I'm I'm disappointed. Adderley didn't do anything wrong. I don't want to say I'm disappointed with Adderley. His landing spot is disappointing because he's there with Derwin Williams, and therefore he's he's just going to be locked in at that free safety spot. Um, he could have came in and played a strong safety and played that really well and been a nice IDP asset, but landing in San Diego, unless God forbid something happens to Derwin, that he's going to be a free safety and his his value just kind of t- tanks from there. Yeah, I have the same five guys, Doug. My order's a little bit differently than you. I have Abram, Rap number two, Adderley at three, Savage at four, and Thornhill at five. Let's just let's focus back on Adderley for a second. You know, the landing spot. NFL-wise, I think it was the perfect landing spot. I think you put him next to Derwin James. I think it's the ideal uh, configuration in that secondary. I think they complement each other really well. But him playing that more traditional free safety role and with Derwin James, such an elite-level player and a good tackler, it's probably going to impact Adderley's long-term upside in terms of his fantasy capabilities. So, you know, I do think that landing spot hurt him a little bit. Uh, Savage is a guy that obviously Green Bay aggressively traded up for. So he's a guy kind of interesting to see what their plan is for him. Thornhill, versatile guy, going to get a lot of snaps in that KC backfield, uh, you know, in terms of a lot of, you know, they lost Barry. Obviously, Thornhill is going to get an opportunity there to play alongside Tyron Matheau and kind of be their their safety tandem back there. Uh, you know, sorry, Matheau at the uh, safety and then Thornhill. You know, Thornhill is one of those guys that's really intriguing. Some people look at him as a cornerback. Some people look at him as a safety I think he's more safety. So I do think he'll pair with Matheau there. But I know some people, you know, especially that maybe the Seahawks would be interested in him and making him a cornerback. But I do think there he's going to be a safety. So I think him and Matheau are going to be the two safeties there uh, and add a lot of upgrading that in terms of their safety tandem there for the Chiefs. Bill, anything on the defensive backs that at the top or any cornerbacks that you kind of want to bring up that have you intrigued a little bit? Um, no, I mean, a- Abram obviously landed in a choice spot. Raiders have, have shown that they can, we can get production from that, that safety position there. Um, I agree with uh, Savage being overdrafted. Um, a guy that I'm um, interested in a bit um, is Rock Yassin, um, landing with the Colts. There's a lot of guys, I think, that have great uh, talent at the safety position, but that playing time is going to be an interesting situation where they've got um, seasoned veterans, sometimes 10, 11, 12-year veterans in front of them. So it could be a while to, to crack the starting lineup. Um, in fact, you know, one of my guys, Deontay Thompson for the Cardinals, um, I had high hopes for him prior to the draft. I thought he was, he was the top five safety for me, uh, maybe even top three before the draft. And for some reason, he slipped, but he landed in kind of a crummy spot. Uh, Cardinals, um, they, you do get production from the Cardinals' safety positions. However, there's two pretty darn solid safeties in front of him. So I'm not sure what it's going to look like for playing time for him. He's probably going to have to have an injury for him to have any kind of significant playing time. Um, but, you know, my, my, I mean, my philosophy on safeties, DBs in general, is they're DBs. Like, just wait, 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 wait. Um, I've never overdrafted a safety ever. 
ever, never, never. Um, there's guys I like, but that I probably won't own. I probably won't own Abram because guys will take him in the late second round, early third round. You know that they're, you know, there's not any studs on the board, and rather than pick a depth piece, they they'll go for the number one safety. So I don't really, uh, I, I I'm a guy that, you know, sometimes have won championships by plucking DBs off the waiver wire the last three weeks of the year. So um, there, there's lots of DBs in the world. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting, uh, Bill, that you brought up Rocky Sin there. He's a guy, obviously, physical, good tackler. You heard a lot about him that he could go round one. So in cornerback required leagues, I think Rocky Sin makes a lot of sense. I think he's a guy that is is not going to shy away from from contact. He's going to look to make mix it up and make tackles. So I think he's a guy that in cornerback required leagues definitely is going to be on people's radar. Maybe he's a guy in in deep uh, drafts that have just def- defensive backs that maybe someone puts an opportunity to get him if they think his tackle numbers are, are going to be pretty good from the cornerback position. But yeah, overall, I, I, I'm with you there, Bill, in terms of you know the replacement value is usually not hard to find guys that can replace these guys. So I do think you know I'm right there with you in terms of usually just waiting and waiting and, and then kind of seeing what's out there. At times, using the waiver wire pretty regularly to pick up players. Uh, you know, so I think that's a smart tactic to take when we're talking about you know uh, the defensive backs in terms of fantasy football. Next few guys up on my lists are Marquise Blair, who went to the Seahawks, Troy Gardner-Johnson, who went to the Saints, and Amani Hooker, who went to the Titans. I think Charney Gardner-Johnson is a Tyrant Matho type. There were some people who thought he can go much earlier than this. Marquise Blair's got some draft capital attached to him with the Seahawks, and then Amani Hooker is a guy who I think is better playing a little bit closer to the box, which obviously helps in terms of his fantasy value. Doug, Doug, Thoughts on any of these three prospects there, Doug? Yeah, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson is the guy that you need to keep your eye on and see how New Orleans is is going to end up using him. Um, if they're going to use him as a safety, and so far I believe everything that I've seen, um, he, it's leading that way is that he's going to play safety, then he's somebody you want to pick up. But if they're going to have him be their nickel, uh, their nickel cornerback or play on the outside, he's somebody that, that you can probably let go, but he's somebody to, to definitely keep an eye on. Um, Armani, Armani Hooker, that was you know one of the Iowa guys that's right down the road from me. Um, so I've seen him play quite a bit. He's he's going to fit nicely in with that with that Titans defense. Um, you know, physical, hard nosed guy. He can play in the box. He can. He's going to he's going to tackle well. He's he's a good solid kind of later round pick for you. And then Marquise Blair. Um, Again, this, the Seahawks defense is, is is a nice place for for him to land. So, yeah, I, I, I like all three of those guys. Yeah, it seems like we kind of feel the same there about Tony Gardner-Johnson. He's a guy that, you know, wasn't that long ago he was getting late round one, early round two buzz. So the fact that they got him in round four, I think he's going to get an opportunity to play. And how they use him, like you talked about, is going to be important. If he's, a, if he's a nickel corner, probably not a lot of fancy value. If he's a safety, a strong safety, probably has an opportunity at a lot more value. A versatile player, though, so I'm sure they're going to use him in a variety of ways. But nonetheless, he's a guy to keep a close eye on. Doug, is there any cornerbacks that intrigue you if it's a cornerback-required league, you know, that uh, you would be watching closely? Yeah, Byron Murphy was always the was always the guy that I really liked. Now, he's going to get a lot of traffic 
just being on the other side of Patrick Peterson. Um, so he, he should have at least opportunity um, to, to get some extra picks and to get some extra tackles. And then the other guy that I wanted to – yeah, the other guy who I really liked uh, coming out was Joan Williams. Um, he's somebody else that you that uh, is somebody that I would keep an eye on or if you're going to pluck somebody uh, in the later rounds there for for in a cornerback required league he'd be somebody uh, that you can take a look at uh, Patriots go through those corners all the time but <coughs> excuse me that he's somebody that I would I would keep an eye on yeah I think Murphy is a good fit there uh, I'll leave that for uh, he's a guy I'm sure Bill's going to want to discuss as well, obviously close to him out there. Uh, you know, Joan Williams is an interesting player with the Patriots. Patriots seem to like those bigger physical corners with great length. That's uh, Williams. So I think he's a guy who's going to mix it up. He'd be a guy that I'd be intrigued with that, uh, you know, pass breakups guy who's going to make tackles. Then I'll bring up DeAndre Baker again. You know, he went under the radar a little bit. There's been some people that have comped him to Tredavious White. He's feisty. He's physical. His pre-draft process was a little bit lackluster. Some questions about his work ethic and attitude, but the Giants traded back into the round one to get him as their third first round pick. He was the first cornerback off the board. He's a really good tackler, you know, so between his ball skills and his tackling ability, I think he's a guy in cornerback required leagues that should very much be on people's radar. So Bill, let me bring you back in. Any other safeties that are under the radar that you think we should be keeping an eye on or any other cornerbacks? I know you mentioned Rocky Sin before any other cornerbacks that you think are weren't mentioning. Um, probably a, a deep dive safety guy would be Will Harris for the Lions. I like his overall game, and, and I heard a, a clip of uh, Matt Patricia really loves this kid. So, um, you know, Patricia being a defensive-minded coach, um, kind of hand-picked Harris. Um, so that's a guy that, you know, maybe um, could be like a, a first waiver ad or a really deep uh, taxi. Um, for cornerback required, I love, by the way, playing in cornerback and defensive tackle required leagues. I think it's, you know, it's the evolution. Once you got a solid grasp of IDP, you got to make the jump. And, and, you know, especially with the balance scoring, because balance scoring makes the, the different positions important. Um, I really like um, Byron Murphy. I know this isn't just a homer pick. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, homeboy just got slapped with a six game, I think it is, PED suspension. So Patrick Peterson's going to be out for six games. Um, really? I really think that, yeah, Patrick Peterson got slapped with a six-game suspension for PEDs, which which really makes sense why he was throwing a little fit like a baby a few weeks ago about his contract and what's going on. He probably found out he was going to be hit with the hit with the suspension. So Byron Murphy, I think, is going to slide into playing time very quickly, and we know savvy quarterbacks like to pick on first-year corners, and I think Byron Murphy's good enough to to stay out there and stay on the field but he's still going to be a rookie and he's probably going to um he's probably going to have a lot of tackles um so and then deandre baker um i don't think that um i don't think there's a lot in front of him in, in new york um i think he's going to get playing time um if if i'm not mistaken um i'm trying to th- think about the depth chart um sam beals in front of him um, you know, I, I just I think that uh, Baker's ball skills are are some of the best I've seen in a while. So I really like him in corner uh, back required leagues as well. 
Yeah, I'm glad that you brought up Will Harris there, Bill. He's a guy that I had kind of starred a little bit as a guy. Matt Patricia just knows how to get the most out of his players. So I think, you know, he's a guy who could potentially have some value. I think he is more a little bit more of a free safety, but I think, you know, the way Patricia could run that defense, he could have some value. Obviously, he's got some draft capital attached to him, and that always helps. I'll throw one more under-the-radar guy, Julian Love. Obviously, a lot of people thought he was going to be a second-round pick. Giants ended up drafting him around four, so the Giants have a lot of DBs from this draft, and that's not even counting Sam Beal from the supplemental draft and Corey Ballantyne, who went later on in round six. But Julian Love is, is another player, kind of a little bit you know, versatile in terms of he can be your nickel corner. He can play outside corner. They already at their rookie minicamp were using him at safety a little bit too. So Julian Love, versatile player, Probably a guy who's not going to get immediate value and contribute immediately, but I think he could work his way into a starting job for the Giants, you know, by midseason and definitely by year two. I think they looked at has, you know, having tremendous value getting him where they got him in round four. I know there was a quote from Dave Gettleman saying they were kind of pacing around, you know, uh, waiting for round four to start and hoping that they could get Julian Love because they had him significantly higher on their boards than uh you know where he was available there at the top of round four so guys there it is this was amazing talking to both of you guys going through all these defensive prospects talking about their idp value the linebackers you know, the off the ball guys and then the edge guys and and how much their value changes based on classification. Then we went to the D line. We had a great conversation there on the defensive ends and a lot of conversation on the defensive tackles and how special of a class it is, you know, and then rounding it out with the DBs and, you know, talking about some safeties and then also some cornerbacks that we really should all have on our radar, you know, for our IDP leagues. So again, guys, thank you both so much for coming on. Uh, Doug, let me shoot it over to you first. Uh, thanks so much for being here. Always enjoy having you on the show with me. Uh, not going to be able to wait as long as we did this time to get you back on here. Let the listeners know where they can find you, what your Twitter handle is, and if there's anything you guys got going on over at DLF you want to promote. Yeah, thank you very much. Always a great time, Paul. Always happy to, to be here. Uh, you can find me at Big Board IDP on Twitter. And yeah, it's rookie season, so we are going through the rookie motions over at DLF. Guys, make sure you follow Doug. Make sure you get over to DLF and, and check out all their great content You know, since the draft. All excellent stuff. Uh, make sure you're reading that. Bill, how about you? Let the audience know where they can find you on Twitter. And anything else you want to share here to kind of close out the night? Yeah, yeah. Um- Real uh, scientific at Bill Latin, um, and again, my my uh, I stepped away quite a bit from uh, from the podcasting and the and the rankings, but I really try to stick close to the Saturday to Sunday family. It's a great group of guys. I do want to give one more point uh, on the uh, Cody Barton uh, train hype train. So I'm going to plant one flag on this on this episode, and that is that Bobby Wagner is a unrestricted free agent after this year. There have been zero contract talks, so. Bobby Wagner is a free agent after this year. K.J. Wright's coming off a huge injury, and they just drafted a guy, uh, you know, in, in the second round. Um, maybe maybe worth a, worth a stash, guys. 
Yeah, absolutely. I love I love Bill that you're still uh, pounding home the uh, you know Cody Barden talk. He's a guy who you know we all have those guys that we kind of realize these are our guys and kind of pound the table for what makes you know their opportunity you know something that we should be watching closely. And you know you make a good point there with Bobby Wagner and do they invest big money in him? You know, or do you know they kind of move on? And if so, that even could open up more opportunity for Barden. So I think it's a great closing point there by you as well, guys. If you're enjoying, you know, what, what Matt and I have been putting out on Twitter, if you've been enjoying the podcast, please get over to our website, SaturdaySundayFootball.com, or you can just do S2SFootball.com. And it's not too late, guys. If you're interested in the premium notebooks for nine ninety nine, you get the scouting notebook from twenty nineteen. Over 100 player profiles of guys that were mostly drafted, their scheme fits, best role at the NFL level, strengths, weaknesses, all that stuff. Uh, you get the rankings notebook. It has our dynasty rookie rankings. It has all our draft rankings, pre-draft on, on film. It has our Debbie rankings updated. You also get the freshman notebook, which was recently released a couple weeks ago. Scouting profiles on all of uh, the top 40 incoming freshmen for your Debbie leagues and just to get an opportunity to know them. And then also the draft projections notebook. It's still valuable. Notes on over 400 players uh, there as well. So on behalf of Doug, on behalf of Bill, on behalf of Matt, and our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday. <laughs>